0: Thank you, choir. Turn with me, please, this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. Your Old Testament scriptures there, near Psalms, Proverbs, you'll find the book of Ecclesiastes. And you can go to the back of the book, chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading at verse 7, and we'll read into the end of chapter 12. So Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning at verse 7. And reading until the end of the next chapter. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaninglessness. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goats. their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We do thank you so much for your mercy towards us, and we do thank you for your great grace. We thank you for your word, and we pray that as we consider it this morning, you would give us clarity, you would give us understanding, you would give us especially wisdom, or things in this book that the author wrestles with, and yet comes to the conclusion that we should fear you. So help us to do that, and to do it well for your glory. Thank you for Jesus Christ, his good news, the one who feared you, who followed you even unto death and rose again for our salvation. We thank you for him and pray in his name. Amen. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes contains many mysteries, many enigmas. There's a certain tension that runs through the whole book and sometimes can make it hard to decipher. And so as a way into the message today, since we're looking at the end of the book... Let me just tell you what I think is the key to making sense of this book. And if you go back and do a study or or read it, I think this grid will, will reward you in looking through the book. On the one hand, there's a lot that the author of this book simply does not understand or is grieved by. There are so many things that don't bring satisfaction or don't bring the solution to life's problems. And it can be pleasure and it can be wisdom, both at the end of the day... Only have limited value. And it leads the author to say, on one level, everything is meaningless. And that has caused some to wonder about this book. Okay, how does that fit with a God-centered view of life and the importance of biblical wisdom? Well, that's where the other perspective of the book comes in. On the other hand, the author is quick to say, those who fear God and please Him can have a measure of joy and satisfaction in this life. And the reason why is because when they fear God, they have an eternal perspective that provides God-given joy. When God is placed first and when he's the center and everything is oriented around him, then wisdom and pleasure and everything else in life can fall into its proper perspective. And that may not solve all of life's problems, But it gives the solution to navigate life in a wise, God-centered way. You can maybe think of it like a two-story house. On the one level, there's the bottom floor where all the ugliness of life is, all the short center or all the, the limited value of everything in life. It's an ugliness that Solomon doesn't shy away from. But when you fear God and keep his commandments, well, that's kind of your access to the second floor. It allows one to live with a certain amount of joy and perspective in life. You still have to go downstairs. You still have to live in the whole house. But there is an experience of God that allows one to live outside the cycle of vanity, to see beyond it, and to know a measure of the eternal right here and now. And so I've come to the end of the book today because I think the final chapters really drive that home well. And maybe even notice both of those perspectives as we did the reading this morning. Solomon tells us here at the end how to have an eternal perspective on life. He points us towards death and tells us to remember our creator, which then enables us to rejoice and live in this life, prepared for the one to come. And I think that's a relevant theme for all of us. I mean, as Christians, we often talk about living for eternity, living for Jesus Christ, making your life count. And yet you still find yourself, what, inhabiting this life. You still do very ordinary things. Day in and day out. You work, you take vacations, you go to school, you get out of school. How do you integrate those two perspectives? How do they work together? Well, I think Solomon here at the end of the book gives us wisdom to do that. So let's walk through the passage this morning as it reminds us to remember and to rejoice. And that theme will develop in three steps. Let's go through them. First, you have the commands. You have a prevalent theme throughout verses 7 through 10 that life is a good thing and so Solomon commands us to enjoy it. Verse 7 reads, Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. Verse 9, You who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Solomon is telling you, To enjoy life because a time is coming when you will no longer be alive. In fact, Solomon often throughout this book remarks, people die and then that's it. And again, Christian readers have wondered how to make sense of that. I mean, does Solomon not believe that there's a life after death? I think the better approach is to say that the focus of this book and this author is on death as a great evil. In other words, life is God's gift to us. It was created good by God. A lot of times we think of longing for heaven and leaving earth, and that's a legitimate Christian hope. It brought a lot of hope to slaves. It brings a lot of hope to the oppressed. It is definitely a hope on which we fix our eyes. But there is also a perspective that as you read the Bible, you will notice that death is a great enemy that is intruded God's creation. It has come because of sin, and there is a longing for the creation to be set free from its vanity. And the whole reason God enters into covenants and does relationships with people is to set them free from that, to get from that death. And so, that eternal perspective made clearest in the gospel is how we can even enjoy life to begin with. And so Solomon's point here in in these admonitions is, look, there are consequences of sin. There's a grief wrought to mankind because of it. And so we should seek to enjoy life. We should seek to enjoy the gift God has given while we still can. And there's many in the great tradition of the Christian church that have picked up on this theme. C.S. Lewis, for example, in the screw tape letters, he has one of the demons making the following observation about God. In, in which they're trying to tempt this person, you know, to avoid all these pleasures and whatnot. But then he makes this is this observation. God is a hedonist at heart. All those fasts and vigils, stakes and crosses, they're only a facade. Out at sea, out in his sea, there is pleasure and more pleasure. He has a bourgeois mind. He has filled his world full of pleasures. There are things for humans to do all day long without God minding in the least. And we may hear that language and say, I don't know, that's a little startling. That seems a little too loose. But I think Lewis is correct. And I think it ties right here into Ecclesiastes. Again, notice again, verse 8. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Verse 10, So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. And when verse 10 refers to anxiety there, in context, one commentator says, It's a reference to unnecessary emotional stress, the kind that deprives a person of the legitimate enjoyment of life and its temporal benefits. Solomon says, Put it away from you, and don't get me wrong. There is a much larger conversation we could have about worry, stress, anxiety. The point of the sermon isn't, hey, don't worry, be happy. That's all you needed to come to church and hear. Obviously, it's a bigger conversation, but one of the angles the Bible gives us, and one I think we are tempted to forget about, is that one angle is that we should pursue joy in life, that we should turn away from unnecessary worries. And we should make good use of the gifts God has given. That that is a wise, spiritual, Christian perspective on life. And if that seems too open-ended, if that worries you, do notice Solomon balances the admonition. He gives the call to rejoice with the reminder, God will call us to account for how we rejoice. So one more time, verses 8 and 9. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And we can read them as him saying, hey, go have a good time, but at the end of the day it doesn't matter. Or we could read them as integrating together. Go enjoy God's creation, but do it within the boundaries of God's moral standards. So one's pursuit of pleasure cannot transgress the commands of God. And that's what I think the opening chapters are all about. Hey, you can try that road. But at the end of the day, it still will not satisfy and it will bring trouble on the day of judgment. So Solomon decries the end of life life at death, but he does not think that death is the final end. He's told us several times, and he tells us in the verses we've read today, that a time of reckoning is coming. And I would not want to live my life. I would not want to pursue God's gifts in a way that made me an enemy of God, that put me against God or that were violations of his holy will. So rejoice in life and remember that a reckoning is coming. And when you reckon with that first, when you make that the cornerstone, then all the other things can fall into their proper place. So that's the command. That's what, that's what Solomon wants you to do. Now, secondly, let's look at the picture. Because Solomon is going to give us an illustration. And with the illustration comes a reason why we should remember and why we should rejoice. He's already told us the short answer it's because death is coming. A time is coming when you will no longer be able to rejoice in this life or to prepare for life after death. So now Solomon's going to illustrate that through this picture. He introduces the illustration with this command. In verse 1, so we're coming into chapter 12 now, and notice again verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Now, that's a blanket command that's going to hang over the rest of this chapter. Remember the one who made you. Remember the one who ordained your days. And it doesn't just mean, hey, don't forget God's there. It means acknowledge him. Factor him in. Make God the Lord over every aspect of life. Fear him and keep his commandments. And then this illustration says, do that before it's too late. So let's look at verses 2 through 5 for a minute. Here's the overall picture. Imagine a large house, facing an oncoming storm, and the house itself is starting to decay. So there's going to be a picture, and then there's going to be a point. So verse 12, Solomon says, or verse 2, excuse me, Remember your Creator before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain. So think of when a storm comes, the sky grows dark. The clouds hide the sun and the moon and the stars. After the rain comes, the clouds may still hang around. So everything is getting dark and gloomy. Now, on the symbolic level, here's what Solomon's trying to get you to see these images evoke dread, they evoke sorrow, they evoke the feeling of the fading of the light. "...with encroaching old age and impending death." Again, remember, Solomon views that as an enemy. Think think of the way sometimes people feel gloomy on a cloudy or a rainy day. So in verse 3, the storm is approaching. What else do we read? "...the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men stoop. The grinders cease because they are few." And those looking through the windows grow dim. So Solomon here is talking about the different kinds of people in the house that see the storm drawing near. So the keepers of the house, that's probably your male house servants, your guards, they tremble as the storm gets close. The strong men are probably the landowners out working, but they stoop, they pull, they pull back. ...from the work. The grinders could be your female servants... ...grinding, providing the house with flour. Well, they're going to pause their activity because they're going to take shelter during the storm. Those who look out the windows, that might be your women of leisure. They're sitting around and they see this approaching storm. They draw back from the windows. With, with a big storm coming, all the activity in the house kind of shuts down. Now, again, that's got a symbol for us. There's a point to the picture. Solomon says, I want you to think about your body that way. As we get older... The less things work as the body ages. And when a devastating event comes upon it, everything could fall apart. So on a more specific level, the keepers of the house, that could be arms and legs that tremble in old age. The grinders which cease, that could be teeth, which can no longer chew food. Those looking out the windows, those are eyes that the sight is beginning to grow dim. Solomon continues in verse 4, The doors to the street are closed. And the sound of grinding fades when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. Okay, with a storm coming, you shut the doors. The grinders grinding the flour, they quit working. They come inside. There's just a little bit of a tension and a stillness as they wait for the storm to approach. I grew up in Charleston. Hurricane Hugo came through when I was a little boy. Now, to me, less than 10 years of age, the whole thing was exciting. But I remember my parents being very nervous, taping up the windows, securing all the things out in the yard. When we lived in the manse for several years, there was a number of the tornadoes that came through. A few times we had to come over here in the church, go downstairs. There's tension as a storm gets close. Well, again, symbolic level. The doors to the street being closed, it could refer to hearing loss. Again, the grinders refer to the loss of one's teeth. People rising up at the sound of birds, think restlessness, a little less ability to sleep. Maybe some of you have experienced this. Songs growing faint, hearing loss. And finally, in verse 5, Solomon refers to the time when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the street. So, you know, he talks about the almond tree and the caperberry, the, the grasshopper. These activities go on as if the deterioration of the house is not taking place. It's probably the indifference of the surrounding world to the decline and eventual death of the individual. Your life is coming to an end, but everybody else just goes on as if nothing happened. And again, symbolic level the almond tree blossoming, that could be one's hair turning white. The grasshopper dragging could refer to limited mobility. Failing desire could be sexual desires or other desires as life begins to wind to a close. And then the final part of verse 5 is quite literal. Then people go to their eternal home, and mourners go about the streets. The end point of this process is decay and eventual death. Now, I know that that's a really gloomy image, isn't it, that Solomon sets up here. But he's trying to give us, again, this balanced counsel. On the one hand, rejoice. Enjoy the life God has given. But he has an eternal perspective also. Remember, all of that will one day fade. So make peace with God and prepare for the eternal now. That comes out after this image in verse 6. Remember him. Remember your Creator when you're young. Remember your Creator before you die. If you didn't prepare for it then, prepare for it now. It happens to every one of us, to every person in this room, probably faster than we realize it. We cannot avoid it. So, are we living as those who have factored God into time? Where we've prepared for the eternal, and the perspective of the eternal affects us now where all of life is built around the idea that God made us, he made us for himself, and all we have is his. And the end result is not asceticism. The end result is a true enjoyment of what he's given. But that is not ultimate. He is. Is that a preparation that we have made? And that comes then to the conclusion in verses 8 through 14. And let me give you four reactions that Solomon intends for us to have to his counsel. And I got these from David Gibson, who's written a short paperback on Ecclesiastes. And if you want to study the book, it's a helpful guide. So I'm going to borrow his four conclusions or reactions we should make to this book. First, he says we should respond with pleasure. Notice verses 9 through 10 of chapter 12. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. So what the author is saying here is, look, this book has been put together as one has wrestled with wisdom, as one has wrestled with the mysteries of life, as one has wrestled with God, and put together just the right words so that we could find what was upright and true. So in other words, we should find pleasure In God's truth. We should rejoice in this perspective. It's giving us truth which leads us to delight in God. So we should remember our creator and we should rejoice in his world. We should be sober that judgment is coming. But we should rejoice in Christ. The one who bore our judgment for us. We have one who has already gone to the cross and paid for our sins. And who came as a celebrating God in his earthly ministry. So we rejoice in that. And then we remember what he says, that the time is short, that we should live for him and delight in his grace. So we should respond with pleasure. Second, coming face to face with this book, and especially the end of it, does cause a certain amount of appropriate pain. Let me explain. Look at verses 11 and 12. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Goads are those pointed sticks that shepherds use to drive their animals. And the author is saying this book should prod you to live in a wise manner. And sometimes that involves a little bit of pain, doesn't it? God, through his word, opens our eyes to a wiser way, a better way. And there is initial pain, initial discomfort. But when we listen to that prodding, it leads to a good place. And the author's language is, is almost you know, exclusive. What, what does he say here? Of making many books there's no end, and much study wearies the body. So don't add anything to this. It's almost as if the author is saying, we figured it out. You don't need to know anything else. Fear God, as we'll say in a moment, and keep his commands. So pleasure in those commands even when there's discomfort. Third, the reaction would be to have a proper perspective. Verse 13 reads, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all Mankind, And when the Bible uses the phrase, fear God, especially addressing itself to God's people, the point isn't that we're hiding in a corner. We're anxious. Did I mess up and do one wrong thing? God must be ready to smite me. No, it's the idea of living in the awareness of God. Living with a certain reverence towards God because he's the creator and he's the redeemer and it's his world and everything should be for him. So it's living in that awareness. That we, we're very aware of God right now. We're talking about him. So as we go out into our lives, does that awareness follow? Are we factoring it into how we shape our lives and the direction they take? And finally, we respond to Ecclesiastes with preparation. Verse 14, God will bring every good deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. No one likes being Unprepared. It's it's been a long time. It was years ago. But I dreamed one time. I walked into church. I didn't have a sermon prepared. I I hadn't read a verse to prepare my sermon. I didn't bring my Bible, and I was late. So there's there's no way to even fake it. Okay, it was awful dream. It's one of those. You wake up five seconds. You realize just a dream. Everything's okay. But it was a very unpleasant feeling in those seconds. No one likes to be unprepared. The author of Ecclesiastes helps you be prepared. He tells you God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. There is at the end of the day a reckoning. We, our lives are for God, and he holds us to account. Now again, in Christ we are forgiven, but in Christ we have the Spirit who shapes us also into the kind of people who are ready to stand before God and say, this is the life I lived in accordance with your commands, seeking to rejoice in you and seeking to remember you. So have you made that preparation, and is it shaping how you live life day by day and year by year? Let's pray to that end. Pray with me, friends. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your many mercies towards us. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for creating a beautiful world and bringing it into order and giving it to your people and then resting because it was all very good. Lord, forgive us for when we do not use creation properly, when we sin against you, when we forsake the way of wisdom, when we listen to the voice of temptation that leads us away from knowing the Creator. Thank you for Jesus Christ who has entered creation to rescue it and to redeem it, and who has begun his new work of creation in us. So, Father, help us to live as new creations, enjoying the gifts you've given, being refreshed in the joy you give, and doing so as those who are seeking to follow you. So show us, Lord, each day as a church, as individuals, as families, how we can follow you. Again, forgive us for when we do not, and thank you for the joy there is in walking with you. Go with us as people, as a church. Meet each need we have. Conform us more to your image. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's stand and sing in closing hymn 705. We're going to sing two verses, then we're going to sit back down. We have a baptism again today. What a joyful occasion. So stand with me and sing the first and the last, uh, excuse me, verses 1, 4, 5 of hymn 705.